you're going to learn lessons no matter what. If, if you if you have accessibility that is laid out for you versus somebody that doesn't, you're still going to learn lessons. I've seen people with money hit rock bottom, and I've seen people with no money hit rock bottom. Yeah. I've also seen them both come back up. Chor Boogie is recognized for having achieved a groundbreaking level of technical and emotional virtuosity in the medium of spray paint. He approaches his use of color as a form of therapy in visual medicine and has been dubbed the color shaman by comrades and fans. He was first nurtured by the world of street art and is primarily a self-taught artist. Through his dynamic range of artistic styles, Chor addresses issues of race, class, gender, neo-imperialism, corporate corruption, substance abuse, healthcare, drug policy reform, and the rights of indigenous people. It was a real honor to have Chor in town. He painted a mural at Gravity, our first large mural at the second phase of Gravity. It's up. I encourage you guys to come down and see it. He's somebody that I've known and really admired for a long time. The work he's doing outside of art is incredibly impactful. We'll talk a little bit about that. We'll talk about his journey into art, addiction, pain, life. Uh, We get into it all. He's an incredible human being and he's a phenomenally talented artist. And uh, it was just really an honor and and a joy to spend some time with him, to have him in town and to have him bless our community with his talent. All right, sure. Let's do it. Uh, Welcome. It's been fun to have you in Columbus and spend a little time with you and enjoyed our conversation at dinner last night. I'm like a junkie watching you paint. I just, it's amazing. I love it. I come down here and Mm -hmm. just watch the progress and Mm -hmm. yeah, marvel at the artist in you. You know, it's really a beautiful thing. It's fun to watch and there's a lot of meaning behind it. And I know there's a lot of, life that has led to it. So mm-hmm. I'd love to start at the beginning and hear really, you know, the parts of you that maybe people don't know and talk a little bit about your childhood, those like early days where you're from and what your family was like and who were you? Wow. It's going to be a pretty deep conversation. Yeah. So I guess, well, who, who is Chore Buggy? Sure, Boogie is Jason Haley. Jason Haley grew up in San Diego, North County, San Diego, in a city called Oceanside, Vista, uh, like sister cities. I grew up in both locations because they were so close together. It may as well have been one city, but yeah. I've been an artist since I was like five years old. When I uh, started going to kindergarten, that was when I realized I was going to be an artist. So, like, my teacher was, I remember her name to this day, Miss Henderson, and she asked me if I wanted to play Duck Duck Goose or do painting. And I was like, what's painting? <laughs> what's painting? And she said, yes, yeah, you know, you have these, this paint, 
paint brushes and you know they had this big old like brown throwaway paper or something like that it was just like a big notepad of it but it was huge you know for kids yeah for kids to create on and so i was like okay what do i do and you know she said like i don't know paint your portrait or something paint yourself i was like okay and so i like painted this big old mashup of colors and hence probably why i use a bunch of colors to this day mm-hmm. and she came back you know, and asked me like how I liked it. And I looked at her in her eyes and I told her, when I grow up, I'm going to be an artist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and here I am. Mm. Mm. So now do you remember what it was that had you knowing that at that point? Yeah. You, you didn't even know what it was. Exactly. Then you started to do it. Yeah. You know, as a it. toddler, yeah. you know? <laughs> And you just loved it? I yeah. mean, you remember? I, I do. Yeah. I do. I just, I remember how it felt. And like, I, it was just the funnest thing I ever did. Mm. It was just, something was telling me, like, you're going to be an artist. This is mm-hmm. what you're going to do. Mm. And then I realized over time that, you, you know, there's so much freedom involved. In it. Was there any artists in your family? I mean, what were your parents like? Tell me about sort of the environment that you were in now as this little kid that wanted to be an artist? Well, apparently to my understanding from what my grandmother has told me that on my Italian side is that there has been a few artists, sculptors and, um, you know, musicians and stuff and, you know, visual painters. I think she said like one of, one of her uncles or great uncles or something like that. You know, and they got like sculptures and stuff up in Italy. So, okay, that's a part of my bloodline. I know my my mother, my father. I know they, I, they weren't artists like artists, artists. No, but I know they dibbled and dabbled a little bit. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I'd have to say that I would be the substantial artist in my family mm-hmm. that has mm-hmm. really taken it the distance. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is, you know, you have that discovery. Mm-hmm. How much of your childhood, you know, starts to become about art or, you know, mm-hmm. how does it continue to unfold in your life? Well, growing up, you're a kid. Right. You know, and so there was times where, you know, I was thinking that I was going to be an astronaut or I'm going to mm-hmm. be uh, this, this, and that, mm-hmm. you know, but I was always good at drawing. I was mm-hmm. always good at good at art. Kids would turn to me in, at school growing up, like, you know, oh, he, he, can, he can draw, he can draw. Mm-hmm. This and, that. and that's what I was known for. But things started shifting once I really got involved with, uh, with aerosol, mm-hmm. <laughs> with the spray can. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you discovered that? Between 10 and 13. Mm-hmm. So I started like, Noticing, noticing the culture and seeing the quote-unquote graffiti. Mm-hmm. What was the culture? Tell me, what was it that you were noticing? Well, I started noticing a lot of stuff like in the aqueducts and, and around town and, you know, and always knew that that was like illegal, but I knew it was, it looked fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got involved in that. I got involved in that and 
started painting, started doing like uh, illegal stuff with with a spray can. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. It was such a rush. It was almost like an addiction, but it was almost like I didn't really have, didn't really care for it that much. Mm-hmm. The illegal side of it. I cared more for the like the art side of it. Mm-hmm. Even though in the beginning, like in the early 90s, it was like even to accomplish doing some of the art stuff, you had to do it illegally. Right. So, especially with a spray can. Mm-hmm. And so they had their places called yards and places where we would go and congregate and paint. Mm-hmm. And those illegal areas, like aqueducts and underground areas, were the places where those were like my sketch pad. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned how to paint. And then one of the cities that I grew up in decided to create like this like art wall. I think it was there for like five years. It was at a park. Mm-hmm. It was a, but like by a main road where everybody could see it. And they would section off panels. And each artist was able to buy like three panels. And so me and like three or four or five other friends bought like three panels a piece. And they were only a dollar. Mm-hmm. It's like a dollar. That's what they call it, the dollar wall or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And they were only a dollar. So it's like three bucks. You register with the city. And, but they wanted to be fair to paintbrush artists. So half of the wall was for aerosol, half of the wall was for paintbrush artists. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think some of the paintbrush artists were intimidated by some of the aerosol artists. So we would just take up the whole wall because <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't even come and paint. What were you painting at that point? You know, <laughs> what, what, where was your, where were you as a, as a person and what art were then you reflecting outward? Back then, I was painting more imagery, portraits uh-huh. and imagery and stuff. As that's, that's what I'm pretty much known for. Mm-hmm. I never really went down the letter path, even though I did do some, some burners and some letter styles quite a few times, but it wasn't where my heart was at. Mm-hmm. My heart was more with the imagery because the culture, the aerosol culture was mainly known for letter style, mm-hmm. writing. And I wanted to be the one that was going to be known for the imagery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's even politics behind that. Mm-hmm. So I just stuck with it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I was painting. There more characters, B-boy style characters, mm-hmm. you know, crazy, wild stuff. Mm-hmm. Who can paint the craziest of the crazy stuff on a wall with, with a spray can? And how much of the art was your life at this point, you know, as a kid, as a teenager? I mean, you're in school. I mean, I'm curious, did you think that you could make a living doing this? Um, Or was it just a fun hobby? I mean, like, how much of your life is consumed by the art? Well, at that point. At that point, as a teenager, you know, I wasn't really thinking about making a living off of it. Mm -hmm. just, was thinking about like, like this is um, what I love to do. This, yeah. is, this is awesome. This is Just amazing. out there having yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Until I was approached by some suits, some gentlemen in suits at this particular wall, asking me if I if I wanted to uh, paint a mural, large scale mural. And I was like, well, well, what is it about? And they're like, well, um, have you heard of uh, Tony Robbins? And I was like, um, no, 
<laughs> and they were like showing me pictures of this guy. And they're like, oh, the guy with the big teeth on TV. <laughs> the 90s when he was coming out. And oh, that guy, is, we see him two in the morning. Oh, that guy. Really? Oh, yeah. He's, he runs these major events for all these rich people around the freaking, around the United States, around the globe. Self-help type events. He was doing some type of ropes climbing course. And it's like three stories. Mm-hmm. And they asked me if I wanted to paint it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, you know, even though I got ripped off <laughs> at that time, and I didn't know anything about business, nothing. Mm-hmm. I thought what they were paying me was a lot of money. And, and technically it wasn't. But I got a lot of spray cans out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we had them buy a lot of spray cans. And probably used like a quarter of them and then um <laughs> and then we kept the rest yeah we kept us fueled up <laughs> painting that wall for like another year yeah yeah so yeah. well so so does that become a little bit of a hit that you're like well wait a minute there's people out there with money that'll pay me to do this. Well, that's that's exactly what it was. I was yeah. like, you can get paid for this shit. Right. Like, you can get paid for this. Huh? Yeah. And from there, I, you know, things started kind of picking up. We were doing projects and I had a partner. How old were you at this time? At that time, I was like 17. Uh-huh. 16, 17. When that happened, that was my first ever real gig. Was mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It was for Tony Robbins. <laughs> Good start. Did you ever meet him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shoot his big old hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, buddy. Right, right. He's like looking at the mirror. Oh, yeah. Took pictures with us and all types of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Funny. No, he was a pretty cool guy. Yeah. And then things started happening. And, but at the same time, I'm a kid. I'm yeah. young. I'm in the streets. Yeah. And partying at the same time. Yeah. And then that's when that kind of took over. Yeah. And had an effect on, um, on on uh the creative process yeah well let's talk about that so you know you're in the streets you're partying you know you're an artist you're out there Mm -hmm. having fun and hanging out with probably all kinds of interesting people tony robbins (laughs) artist and the party tends to follow yeah and so what's that look like for you you know what happens how does it end up you know impacting your your work you said it got in the way well to me it felt like i was disrespecting like uh, the art form Mm. so i would i would not like blend the two together Mm -hmm. whenever i was painting you know it was just painting Mm -hmm. but when it was just partying it was just partying Mm -hmm. yeah and you know that that had an effect that kind of took over a little bit and it just took me deeper down that rabbit hole of uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you know, well, not, let's say hip hop. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um, not uncommon. Me too. Uh-huh. In, in my own way, you know. Yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 so you know, I know we've talked. Yeah. Usually, it's not just the people you're hanging out with and the streets or the culture, there's something under there too that has you 
wanting to feel those feelings, mm-hmm. the highs, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What's there for you? I mean, what was going on at that time? Um, I would have to say, I think if we're taking it to, to that level, to that personal level, mm-hmm. when it comes to the reasons why I went down the paths that I did, mm-hmm. I would have to say that when my parents got a divorce, I think that's 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 what kind of started it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How old were you? A thirteen. Yeah. 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 And that played a major effect on me, and and then my ego, my pride was like pushing it off, pushing all those feelings down to mm-hmm. where you know, okay, I'm not going to feel this. I'm not going to care about this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. In in reality, I did. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of the things that that hurt me growing up. Yeah. And then led led down a path of freaking destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, I'm being an artist at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious, and you know, we can go as deep as you want. But mm-hmm. my parents got divorced when I was ten years old, and mm-hmm. my sister was twelve. And you know, that by itself can really yeah. be massively impactful. Oh, yeah. In your case, especially at that age, at that age, yeah. especially mm-hmm. in your case, you know, what was it? Was it just the breaking up of the family unit? What was it that, you know, had that really hit you, if anything, other than just the fact that you were 13 and your parents got divorced? Was there something specific about it that really hit you? I think it was just the concept of, of what love is. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it totally just blew me left field yeah you know what i mean like it just took me into a whole different direction of, yeah. of what love truly is yeah 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 especially at that age uh-huh. I, you know if i was younger it would have probably been a different story sure yeah but you had already started to form some beliefs or vision or yeah. feelings around what love yeah. was and now that was being totally turned upside down oh yeah 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 got it thank you for sharing that uh, it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It's just the truth. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um and so the the parting, you know, it mm-hmm. takes on, you know, a life of its own. Yeah. How, how what happens? Like how does that impact you? Does it become, you know, an addiction? Is it getting in the yeah. way of your work? Is it messing with your life? Are you just out there having a good time? You know, it, what what's going on? It depends on what the individual is doing, but me personally, mm-hmm. like it led from partying with high school friends and mm-hmm. uh, middle school friends and high school friends and thinking everything is thinking that you're cool and mm-hmm. you know you're going to be popular doing this and mm-hmm. this and that yeah and it did but mm-hmm. it was it was a nightmare it yeah. turned into a nightmare because or eventually turned into a nightmare over the years because mm-hmm. it led me down a path of like i said self-destruction yeah all the way to a point where it almost felt like slow suicide mm. yeah yeah. Especially, you know, going down a path of, of hard drugs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. drugs and alcohol. You know, I went down that path and it led me to jails, institutions, and death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, as far as it impacting the art, it did have an impact on the art because mm-hmm. the art wasn't as, don't want to say relevant, I just want to say that I didn't feel like I wanted to disrespect the art form. Like something was telling me not to disrespect the art form. So don't do this art. Go through your shit. Go through your stuff. And then once you get out, man, if you get out, mm-hmm. that's what you turn to. Mm. 
And so going through all those trials and tribulations and lessons that I was learning, I ended up getting clean at the age of like 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how? Uh, I went through a rehab. Mm-hmm. But it was either that or go to prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, no, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to do all that. Yeah, and the rehab was this your first time rehab? No. Yeah, so, it was so, probably like I don't know, maybe fifth or sixth time. Yeah. Or something like that. So that last time where you decide you don't want to go to prison, yeah. and you want to get clean, mm-hmm. was there anything about that that rehab in particular that helped you? Do that, or was it that no. you had made that decision? Uh, yeah, you I made yeah. a conscious decision. Yeah, I did. I made a conscious decision. At that point, I was at the bottom. Yeah, I was at the rock bottom, and I was like, I got to change my life. Mm-hmm. I need to. Like, I, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm a young man. Like, I just can't. I, if I don't change my life, I'm going to die. Yeah. And so I decided to do that, change my life, mm-hmm. and, and I did. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating thing, mm-hmm. and I think it's helpful for people to hear this. Yeah. Maybe no. somebody, you no, know, right? Oh, yeah. And so oh, it's out there. Yeah, it's interweb. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but what what I want, you know, just to tease out a little bit with you is this rock bottom. You know, how important is it for people to go on their own journey and? Even if that means getting to a rock bottom, is the rock bottom necessary? I guess is my question. You know, is that, I mean, in your case, that's where you ended up. Uh Sometimes, you know, do you think that's just kind of how it has to go? Yeah, Yeah. I do. Sometimes I I do. I think it depends on the individual, depends on how you were raised. It depends on the choices we make in life. Yeah. You know? Once we get to a certain age, we're able to make these choices. And if there's repercussions, we have to accept those repercussions. Yeah. Yeah. And then make different choices. And learn from our mistakes. Yeah. 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 So it all sorts of, sort of goes hand in hand. If yeah. you can learn yeah. while you're going yeah. and implement better choices, yeah. you might not need to get to rock the yeah. bottom. But sometimes you yeah. got to get there to see that. It doesn't really matter who an individual is or how much money they have. No. Or what type of family they grew up in, you're going to learn lessons no matter what. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And if you if you have accessibility that is laid out for you versus somebody that doesn't, you're still going to learn lessons mm-hmm. no matter what. That's just life, period. I've seen people with money hit rock bottom, and I've seen people with no money hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've also seen them both come back up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, rise back up, yeah, like the sun. Yeah, and so <laughs> was it important for me to learn these lessons? I think it's my physical genetic makeup that has basically built my character of who I am today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I didn't go through any of that, I probably wouldn't be helping others. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't. No. No question. I believe that. Mm-hmm. That's really actually the point of this podcast mm-hmm. and the thing that's starting to become, you know, my life's work. I, I, mm-hmm. I am so fascinated with this idea of the human journey and our life informing, yeah. you know, how we can create and give back. Mm-hmm. And so I love hearing you say that you tell me then you get clean. Mm-hmm. 
you're relatively young, you know, still. 22, is that what you said? Yeah, that's what I first said. Um, so in a lot of ways, like, what a blessing that you figure that all out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, you got the rest of your life ahead of you. Oh, yeah. What happens next? Well, I ended up staying clean for 13 years, military. Mm -hmm. And um, and you go back to the art during that time? I did, actually. Yeah. That's what saved me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving that rehab and living with a aunt and uncle in San Diego. And I ended up connecting with this kind of a youth center in San Diego. It was called Writer's Block. It was a place where artists that paint with spray paint go and paint. So I ended up going there painting. Well, actually, you know, I did a couple of illegal things uh, before I went there. I went to go paint illegally <laughs> before I went there, but it, that was just like two or three times. And just, uh, you know, because I was rusty. Mm -hmm. Needed to <laughs> work it out some, a little put bit. Put some yeah. oil on the berries. Yeah. And when I got to that park, you know, I started painting. I was there every day. Painting, painting, painting. Mm -hmm. and it just kept me alive. I ended up being on my own, having my own little studio, having um, where I lived at, and just growing up. Mm -hmm. Growing up, and started doing a little traveling with these guys painting and stuff and at this writer's block. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got an opportunity to uh, move to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. and do my art. Mm -hmm. Just do art. Some guy that was running this loft, 3,000 square foot loft, had a couple artists staying there. But he met me, and then he, met, he had another artist, which is another part of my artistic history. His name is Vulcan, who's one of the um, originators of uh, Super Burners. Spray paint super burners, which is large style letter forms mm. and using lots of color. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who actually introduced me to this guy in San Francisco because he was staying at this loft and this guy was kind of like a manager. Mm -hmm. And so he invited me to come live up there rent free in San Francisco mm -hmm. in the Mission District. And all I had to do was paint. Mm -hmm. And it took me about six to eight months to really make that move. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a job. I told my supervisors that when I first started that job that I'm only going to be here three to five years. My art career is going to pick up and I'm going to just, and I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth year came and they remembered I said that. And mm -hmm. boom, I was gone. I was up in San Francisco and had a loft. It had a studio there, had, and I was working on a lot of canvas works because I don't only just paint on the streets. I paint canvases. I paint large-scale canvases, small-scale. I, I paint, and they all with spray paint. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, lived up there, and, and then things were going a little slow, but they started picking up. You know, I think, like, one of my first gigs up there was, like, Google and, geez, did best of the bay and then like yeah there was you know some other tech companies out there and mm -hmm. yeah we, we, we did some pretty big projects out there in the beginning and then i started 
doing some traveling. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, names started getting out there. This is before freaking Facebook. This is when MySpace is around. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is like yeah. before Facebook, before Instagram, I end up traveling. I think like one of the first big gigs that I did was came for the Olympics in China. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Let me ask you something, just maybe a little off subject, but it's been ringing in my head here. Going back to the sex, drugs, and hip hop. Okay. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about the the music. I'm curious. I don't know <laughs> how much the music plays a role in your world um, as oh, wow. a as a artist. You know, culturally, I think there was something more to it than hip hop. I was just listening to this Rick Rubin yeah. podcast, and it was. At first, I think, from what I understand, people really, and I remember this to some degree, discounted hip hop mm-hmm. as music, mm-hmm. but it was so much more than that. Yeah, as as like most major music movements are, they're they're more they're yeah. more than the music. Yeah, and I just was curious if that was really a part of your life or how that played a role in your like life. Hip-hop, like the hip-hop culture? Just the culture, the, you know, whatever role, even still this day, oh, yeah. you know, how, how does music find its way into your life? Well, hence Boogie, for sure, Boogie. Yeah. Um, I listen to music every time I'm painting. Yeah. You know, you catch me boogieing out there while I'm painting. And yeah, yeah. So, so music is definitely a major role. I don't only just listen to hip-hop, I listen to, to a plethora of, different mm-hmm. styles of music mm-hmm. but hip-hop is definitely where i got my start from mm-hmm. and what led me into the aerosol culture mm-hmm. um i've been listening to hip-hop since the 80s since i was a little kid mm-hmm. you know because of my uncle and all that stuff mm-hmm. and family and it's always influenced my life mm-hmm. um it's influenced my life to a point where i've even like i grew up say uh, here's an example like listening to uh Wu Tang, mm-hmm. and I grew up listening to them, and they were a major influence. You know, I would say on on my life at one point, and then going through all those trials and tribulations and cleaning my life and then building up my career, that led me to even being on stage with them mm. and painting a portrait for Old Dirty Bastard when he died. Wow! And them holding up my painting to seventy thousand people. And being on stage to witness that. Whoa. You know? Yeah. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life. I bet. Yeah. Holy cow. In front of 70,000 people. Yeah. And people screaming while they're holding your painting up. Yeah. And it was one of the most beautiful moments I've, like I said, ever had in my life. But Mm. that's how much um, an impact hip hop has had on my life. Yeah. It led me me to that stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because it, you know, as you talk about like being up there booging, mm-hmm. I think it's really, it's about energy, I think, you mm-hmm. know, um, it's just a really important piece of the puzzle, oh. you know, for me, for you, right? Because oh, yeah. you're feeling something. Yeah. The music is making you feel yeah. something. And part of that feeling is energetic and yeah. then it's how you express yourself. Part yeah. of it is about community yeah. and then look what it does for you, yeah. right? You know, it's exactly. put you on that stage yeah. and it's so woven into it all. Yeah. yeah, you know, music is is about taste. So when it comes to an individual's taste uh, of what they listen to, and especially if they're a visual artist or creative, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. 
and they're listening to music while they're creating. Mm-hmm. That energy of like what you're talking about, that energy of that music is going to come out into that creation. Mm-hmm. No matter what. No matter what. All of my creations that I have created are inspired by music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That energy of that music comes out in, into that painting. Yeah. And I think that, you know, just brings me back to what we were talking about before, you know, mm-hmm. how things find their way in and inspire you to express out. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, let's go back. You know, you said uh, 13 years sober. Mm-hmm. So you're out there you're making money, mm-hmm. you're traveling the world, yeah. you know, you're on some big stages, the Olympics yeah. and yeah. Wu-Tang. I mean, you know, you're making it as an artist mm-hmm. and does the, then partying come back in <laughs> 13 years later and, you know, sneak its way back in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's another story. So like I said, I started, I started doing things. I started building up my career. You know, the Olympics was one of them. Paying portraits for like Jay-Z, Hugh Hefner, and mm. Nas, and, and Wu-Tang, and a couple, mm. bunch of others. To painting on the, the Berlin Wall, and, and it's selling for like 700,000 euros. And making money. Mm-hmm. Being in that limelight, I thought I had control over it. I thought I did. I thought like I wasn't going to let anything take me over again. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it just got to a point where I got too complacent, too complacent, too comfortable, and made a decision to party again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after 13 years. And tell, just tell me a little bit more about that. You know, you got yeah. complacent. What was it? Was it, was it that the art and the fame or the thrill wasn't giving you, getting you high enough? Or it, what was it? No, it was just, you know, it was just being involved like i was involved like in circles that i never thought i would ever be in and in this environment that was very toxic Mm. you know yeah and so it's um, around all the time it's it was constant yeah yeah and but you know now i can be in that environment won't even phase me yeah and i've been in that environment and it didn't phase me for 13 years right didn't phase me until it did yeah until I decided to make that decision to be like, okay, let me just try this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. smoke some cigarettes, mm. drink a little bit of this alcohol, mm-hmm. and then then it's a little more alcohol, then it's a lot of alcohol, and then it's like, boom, yeah, going down a whole road, and then you're like, literally, that saying that they have in rehab, you old people places and things. Mm-hmm. Or in, the, in in like those programs, that literally does happen because mm-hmm. I was literally with old people, places, and things mm-hmm. back doing the same dirt that I was doing when I was a kid. Yeah, and it was it was just the craziest thing, it, it, isn't it? Because yeah. you know, I would imagine you're you don't see it coming, mm. you don't know it's happening, and then there you are, yeah, back, back. Yeah, literally. Back. Yeah, and yeah. it's like a unconscious, like, whoa, here, here I am again. The craziest yeah. thing is, I, I was conscious about it. I was like, I'm yeah. like, I can't believe that I'm back here. So that, I'm like, that is so true. I need to get out of here. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. But you were conscious when you got there. Yeah. You didn't know all along that's how it's going to go. That's yeah. the unconscious I, I part, didn't right? Expect for, it to, for that to happen. Yeah. Then then you have the yeah. like holy shit here I am. Um okay, so then what? You have that realization like shit, I'm back. I don't want to be here. I had that realization and then it got to a point where okay, you know, I was like feeling sick from the drugs, right? And I and my wife is like, what is wrong with you? Like, what's going on? And I was just, I got to a point where I'm like, I can't hide this from her. I can't, mm-hmm. I just can't do it. So, because I was hiding it from her for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then I just told her. Mm-hmm. And then when I told her, she was devastated and she didn't know what to do. And it was either leave me or help me. Mm -hmm. And she decided to help me. So she ended up talking to the trees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the trees told her about a plant medicine called Iboga. Mm -hmm. And then she came back and told me about Iboga and gave me the ultimatum. Mm. (laughs) Either do this or it's time to go. Mm-hmm. And I was like researching it, looking at all this stuff online, and willing to take a risk for our relationship. And I uh, decided to to bet on the relationship and bet on bet on me. Mm-hmm. And so I said, "Okay, I'll do it." And I did it. I went to Costa Rica and did iboga for the first time ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And you were how old at this time? 30, I don't know, 35, 10 years ago, I'm 43. So 33, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. something like that. Granted, I was scared when I first, before I did it. I was scared, read all the stuff online, which was a big mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I did this medicine and it, changed my life in less than 24 hours Mm -hmm. i woke up doing this medicine the first time and said i love my life Mm. from then on i never looked back Mm -hmm. never looked back and been militantly sober since then Mm -hmm. the medicine said it even it even erased all that the couple years that i was partying Mm -hmm. erased that gave me all my clean time back Mm -hmm. gave it back all the way since birth Mm. That's that's how powerful that medicine wow. is. Okay, so let's talk about iboga. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what an important part it plays still in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I have talked a lot about that. I'm curious to hear what you want to share with our listeners about your journey with this medicine. Mm-hmm. You talk about not going to the internet or going to the internet and that being a big mistake. And I think there's a lot of noise around the medicine oh, yeah. in general. You yeah. know, in, in fact, I'm growing sort of concerned about the way it's going with psychedelics mm-hmm. and being somebody that is a big advocate and believes in this work being profoundly potentially powerful there's a lot of 
kind of messiness in it all, you <laughs> yeah. know, um, people doing it that, that maybe shouldn't be or aren't in the right environment and mm-hmm. set and setting and facilitators and shamans and mm-hmm. stuff that's, you know, not squeaky clean and uh, can be harmful. Yeah. Right. And I think Iboga is really held up as, as one of the, the, the big dogs, you know, and it's, it's pretty oh, yeah. serious stuff. And consequently, you know, uh, there's a lot of noise around it, right. you know? So yeah. just may, maybe just tell me a little bit about your experience with that medicine and, and maybe, um, yeah, kind of share that with, with the okay. audience. Yeah. So I did, I book 10 years ago and like I said, I never looked back. And when it comes to damaging my life or wanting to put anything bad in my so as far as like substances and drugs and everything, I want to lay the foundation for this medicine and for all medicines and that they're basically perfectly imperfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> just like everybody on this planet is. Mm-hmm. Perfectly imperfect. See, my journey with this medicine has led me to my actual roots. So there was a reason. It was deeper than me just going to heal an addiction. This had something to do with my bloodline, mm-hmm. my African bloodline, because uh, my father uh, is African, my mom is Italian. So um, my, my roots are African. And so this medicine was calling me one way or the other. So I ended up doing it. And six months later, I ended up in Africa. I ended up in Africa and joining this tradition, the Bwiti tradition. Mm-hmm. And it's an oral tradition, and it's a tradition based off of the foundation of this medicine. But it's way bigger than that. Mm. There's things out there that the human mind and the human eye and the human individual will never know unless they really go out and explore. Mm-hmm. And since I've joined this tradition, I've seen things and been involved in things that I never would have thought existed. Mm-hmm. And this is for the benefit of man, mm. humanity. Mm. And I'm like, how come this is not and the world doesn't know about this mm-hmm. because of fear, mm-hmm. because the world is scared, because they're not ready. They're also over consumers and rape and pillage and, you know, takers. Mm. So there's a process to where an individual has to unlearn, to relearn mm-hmm. what life is truly about. Mm. And that's what the Bwiti tradition has done for me. Mm-hmm. So I've been involved in that tradition for 10 years. I am an ordained shaman. Mm-hmm. Ganga, they call it a ganga. And I'm still in lesson. And mm-hmm. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. It's not about, okay, yeah, you have this title. And you can help heal people. But you're also still learning mm-hmm. for the day that you die. Yeah. So I'm always constantly in lesson. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. learning on healing myself, 
mm-hmm. and at the same time healing individuals. Mm-hmm. I'm not only speaking to just them and helping them, I'm helping myself as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, l- let's talk about that because mm-hmm. one of the things that work led you to is your retreat center. Yeah. And you are now helping mm-hmm. others oh, yeah. uh, through using this medicine yeah. through very specific facilitation oh yeah. you know that you've you as you described i mean you were ordained you went through rites of passage like, oh, yeah. it, you know some difficult difficult yeah. work oh, on yeah. yourself to even be in a position and so which i think is like how it has to be it's like you know you don't let somebody practice medicine without going to medical no. school right exactly and it's funny because like i know people will scoff at that you know oh, yeah. oh well they're not doctors but the truth is, is that if you are talking about the mind mm-hmm. and the body and oh, yeah. transformation and mental health or reconnecting to your soul, that is, is medicine. Yeah. That and is that medicine. and you need yeah. to be skilled yeah. at supporting somebody in that. <laughs> oh yes. And yet, you know, I love that you're saying how much you still learn <laughs> and <laughs> learn from others by yeah. sitting with them, right? Exactly. And you know, just maybe talk a little bit about that piece, like this human experience that is informing each other. Yeah. So working with people with, oh man, I've worked with so many people with, and on so many different levels and so many different issues, Mm -hmm. traumas, PTSD, addictions, you go down the list, name it. And, um, it, it teaches me, on how to on how to navigate and work with those type of individuals to the point where I know what I need to do to help them. Mm-hmm. And you know, if one experiences our ceremonies, it's like, you know, we have a traditional fire talk, we have a, a talk, and uh, it's more of like an education, maybe stuff that people have heard their whole lives. It may not be there's a reason why they're there and there's a reason why they need to hear it again, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's not, I'm not only just talking to them, I'm talking to myself as well, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, I'm learning from all these individuals that come in and try to help them or not try, but help them as best as we can. So it's definitely an in- interesting process but to see an individual coming out the other end, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the medicine is definitely, it's got a reputation. And it's not an easy medicine, but it's not a hard medicine either. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned that the first time I did. Mm-hmm. Because I, was, I always thought it was going to be a hard medicine. But it's balanced. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we are as human beings were balanced individuals mm. and so that actually helps me help others help themselves mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah and, and that's and that's what we do with the medicine we we're there to give suggestions but we're also there to help you help yourself yeah i, I with think the medicine. yeah there, there's a point in there that i think is really important which is that the medicine by itself isn't gonna solve the problems. It can show them to you. You can, it can support you. It can help you. It can be massively impactful. Oh yeah. But at the end of the day, you still have to integrate it. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a whole nother that's a whole nother subject right there. Yeah. You know. The medicine will allow you to help you help yourself and help heal yourself mm-hmm. if that individual decides to listen to mm-hmm. the medicine. Mm. And that's one of the major, major issues when it comes to people in medicine or iboga or any other medicines mm-hmm. is that they don't listen. Mm-hmm. If you don't listen to the medicine, what's the point? Yeah. The point is to listen to what, what this, this gift that this medicine is giving you. See, a lot of people, they, they, like, they have control issues. They like to take things to their own hands. Mm-hmm. And some people don't think it's real, but there is a reality to it. There mm-hmm. is real, realness to this medicine, mm-hmm. to these medicines. I broke it in particular. Mm-hmm. So, um, so an individual really has to make that conscious decision to really listen to what these medicines are giving them and blessing them. In, in your case, what did the medicine tell you and how has that listening really now informed what you're doing with your life? Okay. So, Including, let, let me just... Because I want to get to in the interest of time, because I know you got to get back out there. No, we're fine. Um, but but I want to ultimately get to the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. including this mural that you're painting here at yeah. Gravity. It's all connected, mm-hmm. and so yeah, maybe just speak about how it, you know that's that's unfolded for you. Okay, on my path of listening to the medicine. So when I first did Iboga. And trust me, I've done all the other medicines. And this is the medicine that really, like I said, you know, it was, it was my bloodline. It was calling me for some reason. And I showed up. This medicine is one of the most profound medicines that helps you really connect to your soul. Mm. Literally. You meet your soul face to face. And then we, once you do that, you reconnect. So me as a provider, as a healer, that's one of the first things I do when I introduce people to this medicine and bring them to their soul. And sometimes their souls don't even talk to them mm-hmm. because of the things they've done in their life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes their souls are happy to see you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes <laughs> um, it takes some work to really to get, get your soul to really Embrace you. Mm. Sometimes it does, mm-hmm. depending on what an individual has done. Mm-hmm. So, me, my first time meeting my soul, he was mad. Mm. My soul was disappointed, mad, and he was hurt. Mm. Hurt. And I was like, <laughs> like I was in tears. Like, what's, what's wrong? Mm. And he was like, you hurt me. And I was like, Wow, just that alone yeah. had me shook. Oof. And he was like, you, you disrespect me, you hurt me. So you don't understand how many times I kept you alive. Mm-hmm. All the times that you could have OD'd or all the times that you did OD mm-hmm. and all the times that you, your life, you almost lost your life. He's all, 
I kept you alive. And that had me freaking in tears. And I was like literally on my knees begging my soul, like, please forgive me. Mm -hmm. And he was like, okay, yeah, I forgive you. I forgive you. And he gave me a hug. Mm. And then he was just like, but you know what? If you go back, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm taking you out. Imagine your soul, yourself, yourself telling yourself that he's going to take you out mm-hmm. if, if you don't listen, if you don't, if you don't change your life. Imagine that. Mm. Okay, that may sound scary to somebody looking outside of themselves or looking outside of what this medicine really is, but you got to really understand that we definitely, definitely need that sternness. We need that type of healing. We need that type of um, truth, especially coming from your own soul. If your own soul tells you that you need to stay alive, I am highly advised to listen. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Thank you. I'm I'm, going to listen. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And then he then he was happy. Mm-hmm. He was happy, and then freaking we merged into one, and mm. bossy, and then we were just, you know, been tight ever since. Mm. Yeah, it, it it is not something that I fully understand without never having done it. So mm-hmm. I can't tell you that I understand. I I think I do though, mm-hmm. <laughs> based on the experiences that yeah. I have had with the medicines that I've worked with. And yet you can never really understand unless you've been there and had that experience. And I, but I think that, you know, what I'm hearing is what makes this work so special. And so why it works, Mm -hmm. because you can't get down to that level (laughs) to really get Mm -hmm. what's happening and why you really need to make the change, right? right. You know, and, and this isn't to take anything away from, from talk therapy or from rehabs mm-hmm. or the other things that, that work too, exactly. right? But yeah. it's like getting to the bottom. Like that's the thing about the rock bottom. Yeah. Like you've got to get in there and really feel it and buy it, experience it yeah. to then know, oh, <laughs> I don't want to do that again. Yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to let him down yeah. again. You exactly. know, let myself exactly. down like that again. Bossy, yeah. yeah. That's the thing, especially when it comes to iboga. They say it's like 20, 30 years of therapy in, in less than twenty four hours. Yeah, it's that much. It's you get that much. All those sessions in in one session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very unique and very helpful medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told I was asking you last night. I want you to to share this because you know I was asking you about how it informs your work yeah. right now, <laughs> and obviously you have such a profound experience with this medicine that you opened the retreat center mm-hmm. in Costa Rica, and you're now supporting so many other people through that. Yeah, and you're still out there working as an artist, mm-hmm. um, although you know maybe not as much as you used to mm-hmm. having evolved into different kind of work, mm-hmm. but you're here and you're painting just the most beautiful mural. I, 
usually when we have an artist come in, we have a little bit more of a concrete yeah. idea of what's going to go on the wall, mm-hmm. which, which I've always <laughs> struggled with because mm-hmm. I don't want to um, take away the creative part, the art from the artist. Exactly. And I don't want to steer it, drive it. And on the other hand, it's like, well, we want something that, that reflects who we are. Mm-hmm. And so we typically get involved. In your case, just based on the way that we met and mm-hmm. connected and knowing you and the work you've done, seeing your work, I, I think we just said, like, have at it. You know? yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. here's what this project's <laughs> about. And from what I understand... You know, you're not up there working off of an image, no, you know, no, like, you know, all. most of these guys do, they have it planned out and they're mm-hmm. looking back and forth and they're matching, you know, <laughs> you know, this is in your mind and it's more than in your mind. This mind, is bodies. a vision. Yeah. This is a full expression yeah. of you. So tell the audience, you know, what this mural, uh, gravity is. Yeah. Yeah. I got to, I have to uh, give you some big thanks for that, for the trust. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of trust for somebody to do that, to let somebody just have free range. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of companies that, a lot of places that, you know, they got trust issues, you know, mm-hmm. when it comes to the creative process. Yeah. And I understand, I get it, I do get it, but I also get the fact that some people just need to let people just do what they do and create. Yeah. 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 Um, just as long as it's not derogatory or it's yeah, not, yeah. not affecting people in a negative way. Mm-hmm. You that's know? right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I approach everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I've, I got a, yeah, we got a retreat center, Soul Centro in Costa Rica. Me and my wife and partners are our medical team. And we really care about helping people with this medicine. And mm-hmm. We do what we, all the due diligence on making sure everybody's comfortable, everybody's safe, and mm-hmm. everybody is coming to receive the best healing that they need. Mm-hmm. So the inspiration for this mural... Which, by the way, we'll put in the show notes how people can find out more about yeah. Soul Centra. Yeah, and cool, man. We'll make sure Appreciate we link it. that yeah. up. And, yeah. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the inspiration behind this mural came from a, a vision that I had with this medicine of seeing my ancestors. Uh, meeting my ancestors. I can explain the vision. Mm-hmm. Like I explained to you last night. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of deep. It's really deep. It explains the detail of this medicine. It's something that I'll never forget. So, after my initiation, doing my initiation in Africa, and write a passage and all that stuff. You know, the initiation is with a lot of medicine. And so, I ended up calling upon my ancestors screaming out loud within, like, I want to see my ancestors. And then all of a sudden, this pyramid-like structure broke out of the darkness. And then once it broke through, I literally felt like I was in a different world, spirit world. I can feel the weather, literally feel the weather inside this world. And, you know, little lukewarm feeling and stuff and I see this pyramid and in my in my in my visions I'm a superhero called Love Man. <laughs> Love Man. I have a big heart on my chest. I got a cape 
And heart of my third eye and shoots out. They shoot out hearts and all the darkness like a machine gun and annihilates everything. Spin around. Ah! Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> so I'm in this world and I'm like, okay, I'm going to fly up to the top here. Let's fly up to the top. Flew up, flew up right to the top. And I see this individual, 12 foot tall individual in the center of this pyramid with his hands up in the air and a beam of light shooting through his hands. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? Like, I, I, I couldn't even believe it. Granted, like, I would have never thought I would have went down this path at all in my life of plant medicines and, mm-hmm. and of iboga. Like, mm-hmm. I n- never would have thought. Never. But I'm here now. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm analyzing this individual. And I'm like, this is the most craziest thing I've ever seen. And I'm looking at his skin and the details of the body. And skin was made of stars in the universe. I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is amazing. <laughs> wow. And I walk up to him. and He's like looking at me at the same time with a big smile on his face. Eyes all bright. And then there's music playing while you're with the medicine. And there's also music playing inside the spirit world. So when they combine together, it's like a music that you've never even heard in your entire existence of life. Never. I've never heard anything like this. And so every movement had music to it. So I'm like, he's, I'm like, what does he have in his hand? There's this beam of light. And then he's like, he brings it down, and while he's bringing it down, this music is like playing. It's like in slow motion, too, kind of slow motion. And he he brings his hands, and I go up and I look at his hands, and I'm like, wow, there's like a there's a live beating heart in his hand. And so I'm like, I can't believe this. Like, there's a freaking heart in this being's hands. And then. I'm like, okay, the rite of passage, initiation. Okay, what do I need to do? I need to do something. I need to do something. So I got to think quick on my feet while I'm on this medicine. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to grab the heart. So I grabbed the heart, made the initiative. I grabbed the heart. And then that music just started playing like Mm. even louder. It was just the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Like, Like he's back home. Like, that's what it felt like. He's like, he's back. He's back. And so the being looks at me and he's like, he looks at me and he says, now what are you going to do with it? I was like, oh, wow. That's a big question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What can I do with it? All right. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. So I open up my chest like a board game this opened up <laughs> and i've seen everything live and direct and hear the blood flowing in the veins and i look at my heart and there was like no heart there there was like this this dark nothing darkness consuming it and it hissed it was hissing like a snake and like making these noises 
And I was like, what? I was like, no, no. I don't have a heart. Oh my gosh. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. Pop the heart in its place. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it started consuming that darkness just and just annihilated and just gone. Mm. You could hear it like saying, help me, like the fly or something, just, and it was just gone. Mm-hmm. But I can feel it in physical time, the heart reconnecting to my like, like body. And I'm, I can just feel it, like sur- electrical surges in my body, you know? But it wasn't over. It just wasn't over after that. Like, I'm sitting there with my chest open, and I'm like, dazed a little bit and I'm looking up and I see the sun. It's like this little ball, like the sun, like right above my head. And something was screaming at me, like my soul, actually my soul was screaming at me saying, you know, put your hand in it. So he's like, scream, put your hand in it, put your hand in it. And I'm like, okay, okay. And I put my hand there because at this moment, everything's going wild. You know, it's like this reconnecting of forces, of energy. And I put my hand in it and I'm feeling around and I grabbed something. And it was like, pull it out. And it was, and then my soul was like, that's the grail. And I was like, the grail? Like, you mean like in the Bible? Like, no, he's like, no, like, that is false. This is the truth. And it was like a cup, but like like the first cup ever made by man. And it was just a wooden piece of wood with a hole in it. And it had the liquid, some liquid from the sun. This shine bright like the sun. And I was like, really? And then he was just, now pour it on the heart. Pour it on the heart. He started screaming, pour it on the heart. And so I'm like, okay. And so I poured it on the heart. And just, and I could feel it like it was kind of hot. It was adhering to the heart. And then it turned the heart into gold. And I was like, I got a golden heart. Mm. And so I went and closed the board game. And then went and gave thanks to the ancestors. And I was like, what's your name? And he was like, Zambekana. And when the sun, uh, I looked at the part when the sun came to me, that's how I actually got my name. Mm-hmm. Was my name is Niangu. Niangu ma benga mami kukukomenan Zambekana. Manamanyambe. Which technically means the sun. Son of God. Son of the genies of the sun shine bright like the sun. So, Zambekana, to the tradition, in the tradition, the Bwiti tradition, means God, high, high power, like this, the highest of eyes. Mm. And that is who I'm actually painting on this wall. Mm. Is that image of that face that I've seen. Mm. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> you know, I've heard you tell that story now twice since uh, we've been together and I love it. You know, it's, uh, I feel honored that, Bossy. you know, that's, that's what's here. And what moves me about that is the path to it, mm-hmm. you know, 
I mean, just that journey by itself, just that story by itself. I mean, yeah, as you know, it scares the shit out of me, <laughs> you know, um, to yeah. have your soul and people screaming at you. That's sort of my trauma and trigger. And mm. yet, you know, at the same time, it's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And look, you know, what has happened to you mm-hmm. as a result. Uh, as you said earlier, like it's so perfectly imperfect, you know, the yeah. the whole journey. But gosh, you know, it, it feels perfect when you stand in it today. And when you look at the mural and how you're expressing that vision here on this project means a lot mm-hmm. to me. So I hope, I know it'll mean a lot to others. And I believe you're really doing amazing work and all that you're doing. And I'm grateful for that and mm-hmm. grateful for you mm-hmm. taking some time to come here from Costa Rica and, and be a part of this project and to take time to be with me mm-hmm. and uh, to share your journey with our audience. It's been a real treat for me and I know it will be for other people too. Uh-huh. Basi. Basi is another word. It's in the tradition means truth. Uh, it's like truth or like you know how people say words. Yeah, like, yeah. Basi. Yeah. You know, so Basi to you, brother. Yeah. 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 Thank you cool. for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Nah, Thanks, Char. You know? yeah. yeah, this is uh amazing. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, a lot more to come. Oh yeah. 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 Good. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.